When you think about God, I wonder what might come to your mind. What kind of a, a being do you picture? In my case, I grew up in a home without faith, and so my knowledge of God was very sketchy. And on those occasions when I did think about God, I tended to view Him as a cosmic judge. I viewed God as a being who hands out punishment to people who mess up. Now, that's a pretty limited view of God. And one of the problems with that view is if, that, is if God is only a judge, it means we're forever on trial. And who wants to experience that kind of relationship? I had a science professor in college who believed in God as the creator. He was convinced there was a God. God made us and set us in motion and then ignored us. So God was over there. I'm over here. We have nothing in common. You see, if God is only a creator, then he's a distant and impersonal God. There's nothing inviting about having a connection with a God who simply and solely is a creator. And I know some people who go through life viewing God as their master, only as their master. And the problem with that view is that it reduces people to little more than servants. And being a full-time servant for a master doesn't make for much of a personal connection. Now, as the Bible makes clear, God is the master of the universe. He's the master of everything that we can see, and He is the creator, and there are times when He does pass judgment. But here's the fascinating thing. He doesn't define himself by those roles. When God chooses to reveal himself to the world, he does so through an identity that is intimate and is personal. God chooses to reveal himself and adopt the identity of a family member. The eternal God wants to be our heavenly father. And I think the implications of this are staggering because it means that Almighty God does not want to watch over us just as servants or as defendants on trial or as objects that He created. He wants to watch over us as His children. And this means He wants our connection with Him to be defined by love and care and respect. It means that there are times when he will extend himself for us and make efforts for us on our behalf. And it means that he always wants what's best for us. Because that's what a good father does. And the more that you and I can understand the goodness of God, the more that we can trust him through all of the circumstances of life. Now, some of the most foundational teaching about God the Father comes from Jesus the Son. And this morning, we want to listen in as Jesus talks with his disciples. He's going to describe his own connection with the Heavenly Father. And we're going to see that what he wants to do is lead his followers so that they are connected with the Father. Jesus wants us to be connected with the Father because when we are with the Father, we are home. Home is where the Father is. Let's take a look at this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. It's recorded for us in the book of John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house, isn't that a wonderfully intimate term? My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, in this portion of the book of John, Jesus is having an extended conversation with his disciples. It really begins in chapter 13, and it ends with a lengthy prayer in chapter 17. And in these five chapters, the word Father is used in reference to God more than 50 times. Clearly then, this is a great place for us to learn some things about God as our Father. And as we break into the conversation here in chapter 14, we find Jesus offering some words of encouragement to his disciples. He wants to lift them up because they're feeling down. He's concerned because their hearts are troubled and he doesn't want that. And so we need to ask, why might their hearts be troubled? Well, there's a lot of reasons, actually. Right now, life for them is extremely difficult, and they're facing some very hard situations. First, they face ongoing political troubles because they live in a society of unrest. The Jewish people have lost their independence. They are ruled by Rome, and they hate their Roman overseers with a deep-seated passion. And as a result, political tension is continually present with protests and resistance and, and periodic rebellions. And second, they face ongoing social troubles. In fact, increasing social troubles because Jesus and the things that Jesus teaches are under attack by the leaders of that society. And increasingly, the disciples sense that the authorities at some point may stop arguing with Jesus and actually arrest Jesus. And if they arrest Jesus, where would that leave the disciples? And third, they face relational troubles because there's growing tension between them. Jesus, Jesus recently announced to them that one of their own members, one of their disciples, is a traitor. He said, one of you will betray me. And then he said to Peter, one day soon, you're going to deny that you even know me. And then he told all of them, very soon, I'm going to leave you. Political pressures, social pressures, relational pressures. These men, just like us, have plenty of reasons to be troubled and what is it that Jesus tells them to help them overcome their anxiety? He says, I want you to trust in me, and I want you to trust in the Heavenly Father. Yes, he says, I am going to leave you, but I'm going to go to where the Father is. I'm going to be there with him, and I will prepare a place for you. And Jesus is letting his followers know that there is more than just this life. He's promising that they will have a heavenly home waiting for them in the next life. He's giving them hope for the future. And in a world full of uncertainty, this is a great promise. It lets the disciples know that this troubled world is not their ultimate home. It's not their true home. Home is where the heavenly Father is. That's 
where Jesus will be. And Jesus wants his friends with him. And this promise is not just for the disciples listening to Jesus. This promise is for us. Jesus wants you and I to embrace this promise so that we will not be troubled and anxious, so that we can live each day with hope. And he wants the certainty of our heavenly home to help us trust God more in this life. Jesus is preparing your home and my home with the Heavenly Father. And I love how personal that preparation is. Jesus Jesus doesn't say he's delegating this responsibility to someone else. He says, I'm doing it. I'm the one preparing your place. Now, I have no idea what that preparation might actually look like. But since during his time on earth, Jesus was a carpenter, I kind of like to imagine him sawing and nailing and hammering as he builds a home, a permanent home for you and for me. And that's probably not how it's going to happen. But it's a nice picture. The most important point, though, is this. Jesus is preparing a place for us, a future home. It's a home with him and with our Heavenly Father. And if we want to find our way home to the Father, we just need to do one simple thing. We need to follow Jesus because Jesus shows us the way home. And he talks about that next, verse 4. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, I I think Jesus sometimes deliberately makes puzzling statements in order to prompt some questions. He wants to see if the people listening to him are paying attention. He wants to see if they're willing to admit what they know and what they don't know. And so he says very matter-of-factly here, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, pipes up and says, "Uh, no, no we don't, Jesus. (laughs) And so Jesus explains. And it's actually incredibly simple. If we want to get to where the Father is, if we want to be home with God, Jesus is the way. And he's not one of the ways, he is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now that simple statement would be stunning to his disciples. Because as faithful Jews, they have been taught their entire life that God's law is the way. They've been taught that the law was the embodiment of God's truth. They've been taught that only by following the law could a person experience the breadth and depth of the spiritual life. And Jesus is telling them something different. He's saying you will not find the way, the truth, and the life in the law. You will only find these things by following me. And he's saying something that he's been saying to them again and again in hopes that they'll get it. He wants to replace a rule-based religion with a faith-based relationship. 
a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, the Son who wants to lead us home to our Father. And so when people follow Jesus, then they're heading the right way. And this point was so gripping for the disciples. He made it so clearly, it struck them so much, that long before believers were called Christians, they were called the way. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, followers of Jesus were described as people who had embraced the way. Because they were men and women who believed that Jesus was the only way to the Father. And the reason, the reason that Jesus is the only way to the Father is because he is identical with the Father. He says here that when we see him and know him, then we can see and know the Father. That's amazing. No other person who ever walked this earth could make that claim. And because of that, Jesus can say very matter-of-factly, you know the Father, and you've seen Him. But once again, the disciples don't understand. And this time it's Philip who asks the question. Look what happens next. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus just said, to see me is to see the Father. And Philip says, please show us the Father. (laughs) He's asking a question that Jesus has already answered. And yet, I, I don't blame Philip for being confused because what Jesus says here is incredible. He is stating that he is God. He is living on this earth in the role of a son, an obedient son who's carrying out the will of the Father, and yet their connection goes so much deeper because Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. It means they are one in essence. So Jesus is not just some bright guy who has some new and provocative and interesting insights about the scriptures and who ministers to people with love and compassion. He is God. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Exact. Like Father, like Son like son, like father. When we see Jesus, we see the father. And Jesus knows this is not easy to grasp. And yet there are facts to support what he's saying. There is evidence to reinforce that he is who he claims to be. And if you have doubts, Jesus says, then just look at the evidence of my work. And so what are the works of Jesus? Well, he teaches the Bible with authority. 
an authority that no one ever has heard. He heals the sick. And he doesn't even need to be physically present with the sick person for that to happen. There are times when he heals somebody miles away from him simply by speaking the word. He frees people from demonic oppression. He commands the elements of nature. He tells the wind and the waves what to do. He raises people from the dead. He forgives sins. Through his ministry, Jesus demonstrates that he has authority over the Bible, authority over illness, authority over spiritual forces, authority over nature, authority over life and death, and authority over sin and forgiveness. No one else can do that except for Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. No one else can do this except the Son, who is one with the Father. And because the Son is like the Father, and because the Father is like the Son, because the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son, then Jesus can do incredible things. But you know what? Jesus says that his disciples can do even greater things. That's incredible. Look what he says next in verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do, do the works I have been doing. Will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus is letting his disciples know that they are going to carry on in his absence. They are going to be equipped to do great things because Jesus will be with the Father. Now, at first, that might not make sense to them. They probably think, now, wait a second, Jesus, when you're here with us, that's when we should be able to do great things. You're saying when you go away, because you're going away, we're going to be able to do greater things? I don't think they fully understand that yet, but I think what Jesus is saying is this. He's going to have a ministry of intercession with the Father. He's going to be their advocate when he's with the Heavenly Father in the Heavenly Home. And so when they pray in Jesus' name, the Father's going to hear and respond. And they're going to be equipped by God to do great things, even greater things than Jesus did. Now, we have to ask, how can anybody do anything greater than what Jesus did? When we think about his ministry and his miracles and his teaching and his sacrificial death, there's no one who can surpass him. And so, Jesus must be referring to something else. And here's what I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about the global spread of his church. Consider this. During his three-year ministry, Jesus never traveled more than about 100 miles from home. He equipped his disciples, and he left. And then they started to carry on the message and the ministry of Jesus. And in the first generation, the second generation, and the third generation, they continued to carry that message out and ultimately to every corner of the globe. Jesus didn't do that great thing. His faithful followers did that great thing. 
And for 2,000 years, the message and ministry of Jesus has continued to spread. People continue to follow Jesus, and through Jesus, they find their way home to the Father. And I believe that's the great thing that Jesus is talking about. Because sharing the message and ministry of Jesus is the never-ending purpose of the church until Jesus comes to take us home forever to be with the Father. When we pray and have faith in God, He can work in us and through us to do great things. But as Jesus is teaching here on prayer, we need to clear up some misconceptions that often come from this passage. He says here that you can ask for anything in prayer. That's not a blanket statement that we should expect to always get from God what we want. Because the fact is, a wise and loving father does not grant the stupid requests of his children. And mature children don't treat dad like a Santa Claus who indulges their every whim. Furthermore, this comment about prayer is given in a very specific context. It's given within the context of Jesus talking about his works, his ministry. So Jesus is not talking about prayers that focus on us. He's talking about prayers that focus on others. He's talking about prayers where we ask God to equip us to carry on the ministry of Jesus so that like Jesus, we can help lead people to the Heavenly Father. And there are places where Jesus talks about praying for our own needs. Those are legitimate. We need to do that. But here he's not talking about that. I think he's talking about prayers like this. Heavenly Father, please help me to get to know my neighbors better so that as I spend time with them, I can model for them your love and hopefully influence them so they can follow Jesus and Jesus can lead them to you. I think God is very interested in that kind of prayer. I think that's the kind of prayer God loves to say yes to. And when we pray like that, we are empowered to do one of the greatest things we ever can do in this life, which is lead someone to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now, there's another aspect of prayer that some people have questions about based on the wording of Jesus here, and they wonder, well, when we pray, should we, should we pray to the Father or should we pray to Jesus? And my answer is, it doesn't really matter because they're one. And I think we can address our prayers to the Father or to the Son or even to the Spirit because these simply are different manifestations of our one God. Now having said that, I think we do have kind of a primary example in Scripture. We might call it a default that we pray to the Father, we pray in the name of the Son, and as we pray, we believe that the Holy Spirit can inform and guide our prayers. That's the way I usually pray. But, but I don't think we should get hung up on this issue. I think we just need to pray. And we need to pray in the name of Jesus, because His name is the name above all other names. Now let's step back and go back to the beginning. Jesus began this conversation because he wanted to comfort his disciples. He wanted them not to be having troubled hearts. And I hope they took what he said seriously and were encouraged by it. I hope that we do as well. 
And I don't know about you, but I find it much easier to not be troubled when I realize that the eternal God is my heavenly Father. He's so much more than a creator. He's more than a master. He's more than a judge. He is Jesus' Father. He is your Father. He is my Father. And as we choose to follow Jesus, He will lead us through this life and into the next. And He will lead us home to where we will be with our Father forever. That's comforting. That's reassuring. I hope it is for you. I was fortunate growing up to have a great dad. He was not a believer, but he was a good man. And he loved me. And he disciplined me wisely and well. And he shaped me and molded me and left his mark on me. And I loved him and respected him. And when as a teenager I was invited to church for the very first time, I realized that I'd had a very wrong perception about God. I had thought God was this judge. And then I learned that God wanted to be my heavenly father. And because of the very positive example of my dad, getting connected to God as a father seemed very inviting. God the father seemed so much more approachable than God the judge. And so when I understood God as father, and when I understood that Jesus was the way to the father, That's when I made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. My friend Terry did not grow up with a good father. Her dad was distant and aloof, and he was highly critical. He often flew into unexplained, unexpected rages, and she often was the brunt of that. And so she had a huge hole in her life. And when she was invited to church as a young woman, And learned that there was a God who wanted to be her heavenly father. And that Jesus was the way to the father. Oh, she was so hungry for that kind of a relationship. She wanted and needed a father who loved her and cared for her. And who would watch over her in this life and welcome her home in the next life. And so Terry made the decision to become a follower of Jesus. You see, whatever experiences we've had with our own fathers, God the Father is ready to be so much more to each of us. He's watching over us today, and he's waiting for us in the eternal home that Jesus is personally preparing. And so for those of us who already are followers of Jesus, I believe his words here encourage us, stay on the way. Stay the course, continue to follow Jesus, and we do that by holding firmly to his truth and allowing his truth to shape our lives. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then I invite you to start heading in the right way. Make that decision to follow Jesus, to get connected to the Heavenly Father, because where the Father is, that's where home is. I'm going to be down front after the service for a couple of minutes. And if you've never made that decision to get connected to God, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to explain how you can, through Jesus, meet your Heavenly Father. Because I believe that's what we all need. We all need a loving Father to guide us.